from everything I've seen and from helping so many people throughout this um, throughout this experience, because it is an experience, is mm-hmm. that you are going to grow far more within the job hunting than you did even in college or you or you may even in your per- personal life. So if you're out there feeling alone and frustrated and mad and confused and just heartbroken, it's not you, it's the process. Like you just simply have to take control of the process. Hello everyone, my name is Zoila Reyna, founder and CEO of Public Health Hired, and you are listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast. Before we move on, it is important to note that the views expressed in this podcast are our own and do not necessarily represent any of the agencies or organizations we work for or are affiliated with. One of the solutions that are out there is offered by your company, Public Health Hired, and we touched on the hired method in the beginning, and you kind of gave an overview of, of what those individual components are. But I would like to hone into see what ah! I did there to the specific components <laughs> of each of the. Of the yeah, <laughs> we got to add that special effects. So starting with honing, my understanding is that within honing, there's some kind of narrowing of a focus. Yes, really honing in on specifically the pathway that you'd like to follow. Yes. So walk us through what that looks like. I know there's a component of it with. You know, some people might have a specific salary expectation that, and then make an inclusion-exclusion criteria around that, maybe where, where they want to work, what type of field within public health, yeah, at remote, yeah. in person. So walk us through what that process of honing looks like in practice. Yeah, honing, as much I as you think can. the best, yeah, the best way to describe it is like, it's it's your first, it's the first time I you get a flashlight. So here's a flashlight mm-hmm. because that's really what is supposed to start to feel like so you're looking you're searching in the dark you're looking for those these jobs that work for you but you also have to be willing and able to weed out things because i think at first you're wanting to just apply to about anything that maybe closely is interesting Mm. to what you're looking for but i'm teaching folks on how to read jobs that's actually one of the big uh, principles of of the h of hired is you actually have to study the job from the bottom Mm. up So most of us read top down, which is normal. That's how you read anything, right? Like, duh. But you waste so much time on the company. You fall in love with the company. You're just like, yes, it sounds so cool. And then you read the job description when it's sometimes like two long pages of information. And then you have little time or energy to then understand the qualifications, which is the bottom. Mm. So you have to start from the bottom. I always tell folks just... Get a sense if it's a general public health job and then jump to the bottom and you'll quickly assess if it's really right for you. And the qualifications say everything. So that's where you'll start to read, you know, they want X amount of years in a certain specialty or X amount of years in a skill set. And a lot of folks think that those qualifications will automatically say must have 10 years in public health. And here you just got out of grad school. But that's like 10% of jobs. Like very, very rarely will a job say must have X amount of years in public health or global health or anything around that area. They actually want usually 90% of the time or 80% of the time, they want someone who's done project management, community engagement, data analysis, evaluation, just these other, again, key terms, which is why I have a guide around the honing, because 
you have to search based on these key terms to find those jobs that have those qualifications that align with your interest and your skill set. So I actually don't um, recommend that you search public health in your key terms. So a lot of no, do not search public health. Don't search. I think everyone is out there who graduating like, let me look for my job, public health. They type yeah. it in and they think their magical, perfect job is going to appear. <laughs> and it's not the case. Those jobs, I mean, you can search public health. And I would say in a given year, I searched the term public health four to six times. That's just mm-hmm. four to six because I'm bored. I'm like, hey, what is public health? What's being categorized? But the best jobs I find are when I've when I've um, my favorite key terms are. Let's see if your listeners are ready. My top favorite Mm -hmm. key terms are capacity building, technical Mm -hmm. assistance, implementation, community engagement, and strategic Mm -hmm. planning. So those are like kind of some of it is because I'm interested in those spaces, but I also use those terms to to help my mentees find really cool, unique jobs. So yeah, there's, and there's so much more, like I have a whole guide. I'm currently updating it. It was a five page guide now turning into a 20 page guide. So hopefully. Oh, wow. And that guide is that guide free, free. If I remember correctly, free. it has completely over, free, completely free. And it has over, uh, now it's at 12, 1200 downloads over a thousand downloads. Oh, wow. Yeah. So folks are grabbing it cause it's really been making a difference for individuals. So please go download it. It's free. I don't plan on charging any time for that. Cause Sometimes that's all you need is just like, what do I, what should I be looking for? And so honing is learning how to read the jobs, study the jobs, but also study those key terms that align with your background. Right. Yeah. So going back to your flashlight analogy. So you have your flashlight and what you're really looking for are those keywords. Yes. And then if you're looking for things like public health jobs, you can get led astray. But if you have very focused keywords, then you might be able to find something that aligns with your interests. Yeah, you're like honestly, you're like digging for gold. You're mm-hmm. mining. You're it's you're mining. You're looking for Bitcoin. Maybe that's a more <laughs> relevant term. I was gonna go there, but I wasn't sure if you were a blockchain mining, Bitcoin you're, person. You're mining for Bitcoin. You're mining for a golden golden gem nugget. And then, oftentimes, I also remind my mentees and followers that. Um, If there's a company that posts something and you thought it was great, but it was too senior level or not exactly what you're looking for, go directly on their company website. The companies don't have the capacity to post every single job that they've ever posted. So you have like, you know, most of us are on Indeed and LinkedIn, such such as I am. But when I then go on their website directly, I find something even better. And that's what happened Mm -hmm. to me is I was stalking my company and I found the, the job that was right for me not on LinkedIn, not on Indeed. So go on these company websites. That's definitely part of honing and digging and mining. So <laughs> I love that. So we have all these key search terms. We maybe have found a job. You mentioned intercepting, which is the next letter here. So how do we actually catch the eye of the person reviewing the application in oh. someone in HR or a hiring manager? What makes a robust two-page resume? The summary. Your summary is what catches their eye. I thought we weren't supposed to use those anymore. No, that's objectives. Get rid of objectives. That's probably what you're thinking about. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So objectives, swap not objectives, put summary. Not profile. It's a summary. Mm, and the summary okay. is something that I've I've mastered and I help people master in in the one of my programs known as the master class. I actually talk 
people through the formula and how to do it for yourself. But what catches the hiring interviews um, eye is that summary because you immediately put the qualifications at the top of your resume, like how you meet those qualifications. So that's why when you study the job from the honing, you jump from the bottom of the job to the top of your resume because you pull that language to the top. And so you immediately address the hiring manager's deepest desires. And so I've actually gotten a lot of feedback from folks who say that they've adopted the summary and they've even noticed like their summary is highlighted. No other part of their resume is highlighted, but the summary speaks volumes. So I like to think of the summary as a, it's your elevator pitch, it's your clickbait, it's your soundbite, it's the it's the five seconds like you catch them and it's not buried at the bottom. A lot of what I see is folks put like their skills or proficiencies on the second page yeah. at the bottom. And I'm like, that all all that needs to be at the top. First thing, like call it out. So yeah, summary is five to eight lines or five to eight phrases. It's very weird grammar, but it's strong language and there's more information on my Instagram and on my website about it. But I would say what makes what makes these followers and mentees stand out is they've mastered the summary on top of all, you know, tailoring and Hmm. reading the job and the key terms. But summary, summary, summary. So why is it so effective if you already have the stuff on your resume? Is it that you just put it right at the top and they don't have to do any work to, to yes. figure out the mumbo jumbo that's on Correct. the Correct. Yes. Is that kind of, is, that, is it that simple? You're saving their time. You're helping them. Mm. I mean, think about it. If you, most resumes, I mean, a lot of resumes will just start off with like their education and all of their experiences. But what if it, you made it easy for the hiring manager to identify why you should be interviewed right away before they even get to your cover letter? And what's nice is, you know, I know I'm jumping a little bit into the cover letter, but your summary is tied to the first paragraph of your cover letter. So you hit them twice mm-hmm. with why you are the best candidate, not only first in your summary, but you tie it then into your cover letter and then you drill down, down deeper in, into the cover letter. So would you say I'm going to ask you essentially what's the number one thing that people get wrong with their resumes? And I'm guessing summary is one of them. Is there anything else that would make a big difference if someone changed it as well? One of my other sayings, I have a few of them, but one of my other sayings is lead as a professional. You are not a student or a recent graduate looking for work. You are a working Mm. professional who happens to go to school or happens to have graduated. Mm -hmm. So you are a working professional first. And the problem I see with a lot of students or recent graduates is that they're posting their GPA, their courses, their honors. They were on the dean's list. They like they just flag themselves too much as a student right away, right away. And I'm like, Mm. they don't care about your GPA. They don't care about your courses. They don't care what they care is. What are your skills? What's the what do you how do you meet the qualifications, which is your summary? Your education needs to be simple. So a lot of times I'm coaching these recent grads of taking out all of the extra they've added in their education and just keep it simple. Where did you go? What degree? And when did you graduate? And then focus on the content of your experience, because we actually a lot of that, a lot of folks that I see also leave out jobs that are still relevant. If you were a server, if you worked in retail, if you worked in fast food, if you worked in any job, you can still flip it and make it sound like you were contributing to a company in a way that speaks within public health. So that's what the key terms helps with is making sure you're not undervaluing your experience as well. But I think the most common challenge, going back to your question, is around 
folks lead as a student. You need to you need to lead as a working yeah. professional. Yeah, we've yeah. Se- we've seen that as well yeah. too yeah. in our experience. Yeah, and we've tried to hit <laughs> the people up the head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you you referenced the cover letter side of things, and that that's we're really talking about the reflecting yeah. part of the the hired method now. Yeah. So you mentioned a specific language you use for how someone should be approaching their cover letter is having the right tone. Yes. So how do we go about having that right tone? What does, what does that actually look like? So the, like, for example, the first thing that folks will put is I am so excited to be applying to your position (laughs) and I'm like, get rid of your excitement. Like nobody cares that you're excited. Like you've already wasted the hiring manager's time. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I'm sorry if like you, you know, your listeners are one of those folks, but like you just say, I am applying to this position. Uh, my qualifications include my degree as well as, and then you cite to the first two lines of your summary. You've already identified your qualifications and why you're the ideal candidate. So you remind them again in your first paragraph. Then the challenge that I see is in the second paragraph, folks think that they just have to like list anything they're proud of. Like, oh, you know, this is what I've done and I'm really proud of this. But really, is it relevant to the job? So like if you're applying to something that's around providing technical assistance, there's there's weird titles out there like technical assistance officer. It's like, well, then your second paragraph better be about providing technical assistance in all the ways that you've provided technical assistance versus if you're over here applying to a program director position, then you better have in your second paragraph how you've helped implement programs and evaluate them and like, you know, worked with partners for for the implementation. So to me, it's really being awake, be woke and wake up to what what would be the most relevant experiences to this specific job? So I get a lot of folks who like are like, I'm just going to not touch my cover letter. Like, I just changed the title. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll, I'll see you in a year when you still don't have a job because you're not addressing the most relevant experiences for that job title, for that, for that. So I would say the maturity comes from being aware of what would the hiring manager care most to hear about, even if it's... And then you also, this is an opportunity to disclose lived experience. So Mm -hmm. lived experience is cited in a lot of jobs where they say that they, you know, they value someone who has a background in mental health. You know, you've seen mental health issues. You've seen homelessness challenges. You know, maybe you've worked, if you're applying for the American Cancer Society, they want to know if you've dealt with cancer in your life. So like these are things that you can disclose in a mature way on your cover letter. So that that's where you put that. Yeah. So that's reflect. And what are you, <laughs> and what are your thoughts on for when a cover letter is not specifically asked for as part of a job application? Do you still go ahead and include it? What's your recommendation? Always. You always include it even when mm. they don't ask. Always include it. But it's so easy to just put my resume in and oh, just do the bare minimum. Make it make it into the third page. So always submit even if it's one document. You always want to why? Because the person who got the job wrote a cover letter. The only exception is if they explicitly mm, say right. do not apply, do not submit a cover letter, but that like happens 1% of the time. Most jobs, mm. most jobs will accept the cover letter and it helps you stand out to be honest. Yeah. There you go. So we're not letting you off the hook people. Nope. You have to write that cover Always. letter. You have to put some time and thought into it. Always. So let's move on to E. So embodying. So as a part of the hired method, you also use total recall approach to inspire clients to embody their job as they prepare for interviews. So walk us through 
how that looks. Oh my gosh. So interviews are this other like nebulous and mystery phase. I would say mm-hmm. um, if we were to go back to the flashlight, it's almost like now you found a cave that you have to crawl into and walk out of. Like now that now this space has gotten narrower mm-hmm. and scarier. So mm-hmm. and you don't know how long it's going to take for you to crawl out of that space because it could be one interview, it could be three interviews, it could be with the panel, you know, snakes are thrown at you, like there's so much that can happen in the interview process. So, and then sometimes there's an assignment, even an assignment can be thrown at you. So I would say that the best mindset has been teaching folks this approach of, it's almost like reverse engineering your experience. And you actually, I teach you how to study your background against the job. So what you're supposed to do with Total Recall Mm. is actually take the job announcement that you're interviewing for and actually um, write and journal next to the job. It can be on the job. It could be something you printed. It could be a journal. But start to really drill down on where you've done those job duties already and Mm. make sure you're aware of the key terms that they're lifting. And you'll actually notice a pattern, a trend like, oh, wow, they really care about program management. Oh, they really care a lot about stakeholder management. You start Mm -hmm. to see what they care most about. And then you also start to see your weaknesses. When you write very little on one bullet point, you're like, ooh, what am I going to say if they ask me about like, have I ever developed materials? And you're like, ooh, I don't know if I've developed materials. So Total Recall almost prepares you to worst for worst case scenarios, as well as Mm -hmm. highlighting where you have all of this great background in a certain set of the job duties. So it is a way that you're almost facing your fears You're just like, okay, if they ask me a question around this, I could talk about these experiences. It also protects you from not sounding like like a broken record and bringing up just one or two experiences. Right. Right. That's so that happens so much to people who are just using their current job as that's where you do most of your that's where you've gotten most of your experience. But the person who got hired is dynamic is able to raise experiences, frame it, and then drill down into a specific project, whether it was five years ago, 10 years ago, yesterday, like they kind of can go anywhere and just touch their experience in all of these different ways. And that's what Total Recall does is it really brings your whole self. You embody the job by doing this. And one of the biggest things that I've gotten feedback on is, you know, wait, so you want me to memorize my experience? You want me to like, (laughs) how am I supposed to remember 10 pages of things I've written? And I'm like, no, what happens, which is shocking to me, even when I've done this for myself, is that you just naturally have lived it in your memory. It kind of stimulates your prefrontal cortex and it feels like you just lived it, even though you did something 10 years ago and you don't feel like you have to memorize it. You journaled it. You told your brain to like just categorize it and it flows. And I've all of my mentees who go through this, because we, when you become a mentee with me through the mentorship, you actually get unlimited in interview prep. And so I've helped a lot of my mentees through multiple companies. And they're like, it just sort of clicked. Like, I just remembered this is, you know, how I've done stakeholder management, how I've done program implementation in meaningful ways. So it's, it's, it's weird. It's like counterintuitive. You're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to remember all this? And I tell folks, don't put the resume in front of you. Don't put the job announcement in front of you. If you Mm. really, really, really need something in front of you when you're interviewing, 
Pick the three key themes or the three key terms that you know they care most about, which should have already been identified in your summary, which you should have already been studying when you were interviewing, and then have those three key terms next to you. So that way, regardless of what you're saying, and and sometimes there's these vague questions where like, oh, what do they really want to hear? Like, why, yeah. why are they asking me that? Then look at those three key terms and see if you can ground yourself against that. So it's not going to be this vague answer it's always about the job and the latest the latest saying i uh, i have is interviews are not about you interviews are about them mm. interviews are about the role yeah. interviews are about the company it's not about you so if you if you're just over here talking about yourself mm, okay i see what you mean yeah. you're missing it you have to be talking about yourself through the job in relation to the job it's about yes. the job even your first question when they say, do you have a question for us? Should be about the job. <laughs> it's about them. It's not about, it's not about you. It's very backwards. But yeah, that's, that's yeah, easy. I like how you framed that because I find that one of the parts that's overemphasized, and I'm still going to ask the question, even though it's overemphasized is, Oh, what, what are some of the questions that they could ask me? So preparing for, you know, the behavioral questions, situational questions, that's one important component of it. And people maybe do, some people maybe do a little bit better at that. And then the basic questions of relating uh, your experience to the job is where people let themselves down because it's such an easy thing to overlook. So yeah. I'm glad that you highlighted the importance of, even though you have it in your head, you go to the interview, you're nervous, you freeze up and you can't even remember your the job that you did two years ago, and that right. would have been a great example. So this kind of gets rid of all of that, so it's no longer available during the interview process. So yeah. it's simple, but it, but important and effective. Yeah, my goal is to not make you feel like a deer in headlights of like deer in oh, headlights. That's where right. did yeah. I do that? I feel like I've mm-hmm. done that. What was the name of right. that committee that I orchestrated? Like, right. there's so much we do from talking with everyone in the last mm-hmm. couple of years that. Yeah, we're shocked at how much we've done. We're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did all of these things in this one job. And it's exhausting, but Mm -hmm. it's the only way to get it out. You have to literally get it out of your head to then position it in the event that they ask you about anything remotely close, you know, to that experience. So that's, that's, Mm -hmm. you know, you're weaponizing yourself with these, these responses, with this preparation. You use, Mm -hmm. you use their job against them, um, their words against them. That's kind of it. And you mentioned asking it, whether it's the beginning of the interview or at the end, and you mentioned that you should try to focus your questions on the role. What are you have any examples of what kind of questions yeah. someone might ask about the role that you yeah, can share? The easiest one is usually companies don't divulge like the rich details of the reach or the scope or the populations you'll be working with. Okay. They kind of do like right. they hint at right. it, right? Like you might be working with those who have mental health or maybe you're working right. in schools. But the best first question you can ask them is, can you tell me more about the partners that you're working with? Who are your priority populations? What's your presence Mm. in some of our communities? I would love to learn more about just what's currently like, what's the activity Mm. in this project? So that should be your first question. That's a good one. It, yeah. It's it's really interesting, though, because I remember applying for a job many years ago, and I went in person for this interview, and I had the opportunity to ask a question, too. And the question I asked was, it was a lab position. It was at a biopharmaceutical company. And yeah. I literally just asked, and they, they were really happy that I did, do you mind if I get a tour of some of the facilities that you have here? Oh, I love and that. 
when when they when they when they heard that they're like no one has ever asked us that and of course like we'll love to show you so they showed me through each and every room and showed me what I would potentially be doing and of course I ended up getting the job but nice. they they found that to be a really interesting question that no one would even dare to ask but it wow. really shows like you're genuinely interested of where you're going to be working right yes yes so. what what does my job look like today if I was yeah. yes and that's you know, I think a lot of folks, I, a lot of people who come to me, they want to get an insight of like, will the company help promote me? And I'm like, that is a terrible question to ask as your first oh, question. Oh, yeah. yeah. Do not ask that. Like, you have not gotten the job. And secondly, that's what you find out within the culture of the company. The mm-hmm. best question that you can ask if you want to find about promotion and, you know, longevity, actually ask the panel or the person who's interviewing what do you enjoy about your job? How long have you been here? Can you tell me more about, you know, why you're still here? And they will tell you like, oh, actually, you know, I've been here for X amount of time. Love my manager, really supportive. I get to work from home. Like mm. you get a sense of the culture, which is a better way. It's kind of an indirect way to find out about like, what are my prospects if I join you? Right. Don't go about it directly. So yeah, keep it about the job or keep it about the people who are interviewing you is the best right. approach. Right. Yeah. Mm. That's another. another <laughs> Gordon's like interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a good one because they'll inevitably tell you, yeah, you know, I first started off in this, and then I, yes. I da, 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 and then you got your answer right there. You don't yes. need to say if they Can were I get promoted if yeah. I start. Right, right. That's yeah. a good one. And I, unfortunately, people do ask that, and it yeah. kind of leaves a bitter taste. It's it kind is. of a weird question. Yeah, to start it's a turn off. off. It's a turn off. Yeah. <laughs> going back to dating don't turn them off <laughs> uh all right so finishing it off with the the, the dollar, d in dollar, hard dollars let's talk the about dollars money. everyone likes to talk everyone likes to talk about dollars or not a lot of people are very nervous about having that True. conversation around salary negotiations so the way i conceptualize it is first you have to be prepared so you need to have salary expectations that are based on what the actual job you'll be doing. Some postings do not have a salary indicated on it. So how do we take it from here of not knowing what we could potentially be earning and still putting all these time and resources in it and then be disappointing in the end? So is there a way we can mitigate that? What steps would you recommend? Great question. First thing is you should have already weeded out those jobs that are going to lowball you. So it all starts. Mm, okay, how do you do that? All starts back to honing. At the beginning. Are you able to assess the job wow. correctly? One of the biggest, um, I've, I've been um, slowly figuring out how do I best describe this phase because it does lead from the beginning. So mm-hmm. a lot of folks that are disappointed in the lowballing, they're like, I applied to this program coordinator position and they can only pay me 50000 but I have my master's. How do I get them to negotiate more? I'm like, honey, you should have known that coordinator jobs get paid the least. That's the least mm-hmm. like... So you're looking at different, um, I'm trying to, in my masterclass, I'm hopefully going to have a whole new module around salary negotiation. I do have a couple talking points on general scale and what to look out for. But the most important thing is I found five factors that really can give you a hint on what to expect. 
So the first factor is actually the degree that they call out for. Not your degree, but what degree are they wanting? So if you have your master's and you're applying to bachelor jobs where they all they say they want a bachelor's is you're likely going to be lowballed. Not that you will, but you might be. So don't be surprised. So if you want to get those jobs that are paying you 70000 and over, then look for jobs that say master's preferred, required, desirable, because they value your degree. They will understand right. the, the, the kind of salary you're looking for. So that's number one. Number two is, is it supervisory role? So if you're a supervisor and a lot of us out there don't want to be supervisors, so that's totally fine. But like, you know, supervisors, there's a little more wiggle room. You might be able to get paid more. The only caveat to that is government actually pays less for managers. It's very backwards. They actually want you to stay longer to hit higher. So they start you low and then you you kind of grow over time. But for any other job, like is it supervisory? That'll tell you a lot. And then also the state. So here in the United States, I don't know, you know, across the globe how it looks like, but there are certain regions just in general that will pay you less, unfortunately. So I've been trying to capture those states from my from my followers. You know, they'll be like, oh, you know, I'm getting quoted this. They tell me, you know, they're like, this is how much I'm making for this one job. Versus in California, you can get paid $20,000 more for that same job. So there's so those are the kind of factors. The other two factors is, oh my gosh, they're escaping me. I didn't write this down in preparation for the podcast. But I can, but I can educate your, I can educate folks more as, as we go along. But there are five general factors that I feel like can help you get to a better range and what to expect. So that way you're not shocked and surprised. And also I am on my, on my Instagram, I'm, and also on my blog, I'll be doing more, more blogging with a couple other colleagues that are joining me for the content. I want to help folks have a better grounding on what to expect if you're an analyst associate. So these different levels like specialist officer, right? That also is Mm. that can also signify i think that's actually one right. of the other factors is the title mm. oh and then the fifth, fifth factor is the company the industry so right. is it a nonprofit? is it hospital is it government so uh, when you combine these five factors i kind of get a sense of like about a twelve thousand dollar range what will it be so there's no like specific formula i've tried to make a formula out of it but it's too much to, mm. to to weigh but in general you can get a sense of like Okay, then I can expect a range within here. And also right. folks can ask me, DM me, email me like, hey, right. Zola, here's a job. These are the responsibilities. What do you think they're going to offer me? And that's been actually one of my new favorite questions for folks is like, throw me a degree, give me your five factors and I'll give you a range. And I'm, I'm correct about 90% of the time. So I only have a 10% margin of error. So I'm pretty proud of that. But, <laughs> but yeah, some folks have tested me. They're like, oh, that's my current job. Yeah, you hit it. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <There> you <go. laughs> so yeah, that's you can awesome. always just, you know, contact me if you're dealing with like, what do I expect and how do I do this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so I want to I wanna play a little game with you here as well. So sure. let's say I applied to a job, went through all these steps that you are just talking about the hired method. I'm at D, so they send me an email. LaShawn, you've been a successful candidate. You are going to be making $75,000. Here are your benefits. We look forward to your response via email. I want $5,000 more. How do I approach the situation? Do I email back? What do I say? Or do I try getting a phone call? 
No, you email. Everything needs to be in writing. So that's a great okay. question. Even when they offer it to you verbally, you say, great, look forward to reviewing the information via email. Please send it over and I will get back to you within 24 hours or like the next day or the next business day. If they send it to you on Friday, you can set, you know, respond by Monday. But what you want to do is there is a book by Chris Voss. It's Never Split the Difference. Never Split the Difference. Yeah. So Never Split the Difference. It's how I've learned about negotiation and what I teach with my mentees when they're at this point. But when you get it in writing, what you want to do is, first of all, if they disclose the salary, let's make sure that we're assessing if you're getting the max or close to the max. And what you want to do is prepare to ask for a salary adjustment. So you don't say you want more money. You don't say mm -hmm. you need more money. You say, hi, thanks for the offer. After review, I would like to request a salary adjustment to this amount. If you want $5,000 more, say they quoted you 60, you want 65, you want to ask for 67,500 because likely it they might meet you at that higher 67,500. So there, now you got even more money. But most of the time, they actually meet you in the middle. So they mm -hmm. might not give you 67,500, okay. but they might give you 64,500 yeah. or six, you know, so that closer to what you're looking for. So you yeah. never ask directly what you want. You go a little above that mm -hmm. and you want to give them an odd number. So stay away from round numbers. So I wouldn't even say ask for $5,000 increments. You want to ask for like, 3,000, 3,500, 6,500, like these weird numbers, yeah. because then it just, in a way, it's it's psychology. I don't know what it is in um, particular, but it just signals to them that you're serious, that you've yeah. thought about this number, like yeah. to, to a T, to a, you know, to a decimal. Yeah. So mm -hmm. the more you can keep it odd, the better. And then you may, they may give you a hard time. I've dealt with mentees where like the recruiter, called, one of my mentees, the recruiter, recruiter called her back right away and said, there's no way you're going to get that. Like the recruiter was intimidating her. And here they, they offered her like 85,000, but we saw their max was like, what was it? Like 107, 107,000. And so we were like, let's ask for 103, 103 and five. 103,500 and the recruiter immediately called her and was like there's no way you're going to get that you'd be lucky to get 89,000 and she's like okay well can you still push yeah can you still push my request forward to the hiring manager guess what she got a hundred thousand dollar job with the $3,500 sign-on bonus so wow. she got what she asked for even though the recruiter was like within the company saying there's no way. Wow. So the companies will still intimidate yeah. you sometimes, or they'll throw out these justifications that make no sense to you. And you just have to say mm. like, can you still push my request forward please for review? Right. And then you won't hear anything for a couple of days. In fact, one of my other mentees, she just got a job with the CDC foundation. And she's like, I haven't heard anything back Zoila. I'm really, really scared. I'm like, it's the holidays. It's okay. Like it's right. fine, you know? And they came back and they gave her, um, I think the right close to the max, just $500 less than the max. So she got mm. what she asked for. I said, why don't we ask for an odd number, just $500 less than the max? And she got mm. it. So yes, there's a, there's a psychology behind it. So I re yeah. recommend Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss if you want to learn and, more. And there's a lot of complex dynamics there with just like you said, HR... Yeah, doing uh, handling a lot of the recruiting part. Then there's a hiring manager. Yes, and then how close you get to the max or what you requested depends on maybe how quickly the recruitment the manager wants the recruitment process wrapped up and how badly I guess they want you on the team. So yeah. taking HR's word for it before it gets 
shared with whoever the decision makers are for how much the salary would be is a little bit premature. So I think you're saying just kind of stay the course, be strong with it, let it go through the process and then see what happens. After. Yeah. And the thing I forgot to mention, LaShawn, with your email, like what you write is not only do you ask for a salary adjustment with that number, but add one sentence that says why you're the ideal candidate. Don't overdo mm. it. But because you've already gone through the interview process, you've already done your resume, you know what they care most about. If you got the job, you know what to say back at them. So you can say right. the three things they care most about. Given that I'm the ideal, given that I'm the strongest candidate under these one, two, three terms, you just kind of throw it back at them. I know I'm ready for this job. Can't wait to, you know, can't wait to join the company. Let me know if you have any questions. And then you can also throw other questions in there around like, I had a mentee recently negotiate her her title. This has happened a few times now. So you can Ooh, negotiate nice. your title, get a stronger title title if you feel like they're not going to budge on the salary or if you get the max salary then that's a sign for you to ask for a stronger title if you're that that qualified right. so she right. went from coordinator to specialist and then other things you can um, negotiate is like your start date remote hybrid life you know there's a couple right. things in there that you can also throw in so that it's not just the salary but you can kind of make them make make it seem like you've thought about this thoroughly like here are my other questions on top of the salary adjustment I'm requesting. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Yeah. Negotiate your title, guys. It'll right. help. Like yes. basically consultant, senior consultant kind of thing. Yes. Yes. Associate okay. consultant. Can I be a lead right. consultant? Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So I know we could, we could talk for hours here and we probably will if I didn't say anything and that would have been fine, <laughs> but um, we have to end this at some point. Yeah. So, Zoila, uh, I want to know from you, uh, given all that we've talked about and your passion, your business, and your lived experience in public health, what are your take-home messages for our audience listening? I would say that um, from everything I've seen and from helping so many people throughout this um, throughout this experience, because it is an experience, is mm -hmm. that you are going to grow far more within the job hunting than you did even in college or you or you may mm -hmm. even in your per personal life so mm -hmm. if you're out there feeling alone and frustrated and mad and confused and just heartbroken it's not you it's the process like you just simply have to take control of the process i think we internalize this rejection way too much we think you know a lot of my followers or mentees Sadly, some of them gave up like after a while and they just mm. became teachers or they became like insurance sellers. Like they just were like, you know, I couldn't figure it out. So mm. it's not you. It's simply breaking down the process, adopting these different mindsets, welcoming that, OK, maybe I'm doing something wrong. I think that's the mm. hardest thing to accept that I, I'm doing something wrong. It's not that it's you. It's just showing up on paper, showing up in your interviews, there's a better way to do it. So just be be open to that and just seek out that feedback, which is why I'm happy to help anyone if you send me a question, DM me, and why I have free resources like the free guide to help you get started on the right path. And we'll be sure to include all those links in the description. Yeah. So feel free to check it out. Yeah. Well, Zoila, this you. was amazing. I've learned a lot. I have. <laughs> And I, I feel I, I would like to say I, I know a lot about these things and I still 
learned a lot from you. So thank Absolutely. you for sharing your yeah. well. Thank your you. I am, I am here to give anyone a flashlight when they need it through your through flashlight. your quest through your career journey. It is a journey, and I am your number one cheerleader, regardless of where you're coming from. Whether you're a current student, recent grad, or working professional, you can definitely break through into higher levels if you're very intentional about it. So I believe in all of you who are listening. You got this. Don't give up. Thank you for your time, Lashawn and Gordon. Thank you for doing this podcast. You're doing such great work as well so i appreciate your time thank you thank you thank you thank you for listening to the public health insight podcast your go-to space for informative conversations inspiring community action if you enjoy our podcast be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating on apple podcasts or spotify see you in the next one